Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Nail Marais Show. My name is Thomas Daam. Today we are in Amsterdam and my guest is Khalid Ayal. She is a forward-thinking creative and she is author of the book Augmenting Alice, The Future of Identity, Experience and Reality. In her book, Khalid explores the side effects of augmented reality and the role that AR might play in redefining and understanding of identity, privacy, experience and ethics. And I am very happy to uh, welcome you, Khalid, to the Neil Moray Show. Thank you. It's yeah. great to be here. We are now in Amsterdam, and you are originally from Israel. True. And what brought you to Amsterdam? Work. So I'm a little bit of a gypsy, uh, mentally at least. Mm. Uh, so I actually been living in Israel till I was 20, and ever since I've lived in Italy for quite a few years in the UK back to Italy and then I got a position in the Netherlands mm -hmm. and I've been here since for the last 12 years. Okay, so what do you like about Holland or Amsterdam maybe in specific? Um, what I like about Amsterdam is that um, there's a really big sense of accessibility to everything. It's, it's a city that doesn't feel like a city. Um, it feels like a cluster of communities. Everything is very approachable and reachable and close. Um, but yeah, maybe sometimes I miss like the big city mm -hmm. energy of right. it. Yeah, it's all very small here, so yeah, yeah. cozy. Yeah, very cozy, very yeah, yeah. gezellig. Gezellig, yeah, precies. Gezellig. So you are now focusing on uh, augmented reality, and what triggered you to start diving in this topic of augmented? Well, um, I have this little story that I... I thing I put in my book, uh, which is, um, you know, when I was a kid, I was actually a Star Trek fan. I was mm -hmm. a big nerd tracky girl. Um, and I was really fascinated by uh, the whole idea of the holodeck and the idea that you can be transported into different environments or be able to summon um, experiences into your space. Uh, while I was studying, I studied um, industrial design in the UK um, AR and VR actually were um, flourishing in terms of that was the second, actually the second wave of AR, VR, and there were a lot of uh, prototyping and experiments happening. And at that point at, of time, when I was a student, I really felt this is it, it's going to happen, uh, which didn't, at least not in the commercial level. And uh, it actually came back on a third wave of interest while I was doing my uh, thesis, looking at uh, implementation of emerging technologies, and uh, Magic Leap just came out, and Oculus Rift was becoming the next big promise, and I really wanted to dive into it and, and start with the question of, is this indeed the time for it to flourish, which I think it is, and what would it mean when it finally catches on mm -hmm. on a mass level? and this is what the book is about, and this is what I'm busy with. Uh, so looking more on the context and consequences of such a technology, um, since I think we are really not grasping yet the mm -hmm. magnitude and the impact it will bring in terms of interaction and content delivery. So you mentioned a lot of different things. In the while you were studying, you there was the second wave of yes augmented reality and VR. And what was the first? Well, the first actually started in in well the seventies and eighties uh, through uh, various artists and researchers uh, in universities. Uh, so Steve Mann, for example, is one of my my the human cyborg is one of the pioneers in in wearable tech and and the idea of integrating digital mm -hmm. media uh, within the physical interaction and space. And yeah. he started already in the 80s. Um, the Xerox group um, was developing AR in, 90, in the 90s already. We had the digital desk, which is a fantastic example of, of a working prototype of projection mapping interaction system was mm -hmm. already there in 91. Uh, so people keep thinking that AR and VR are new, but they're actually 20, 30 years old. What we were missing is, of course, the infrastructure for it and the readiness for it and to have a real ecosystem of emerging technologies mm -hmm. that will enable its implementation, mm -hmm. which is where we are at, basically. Right. 
Before we dive deeper, can you describe how you approach augmented reality? Well, um, I approach it from both ends. So I look first of all at the tangible systems mm -hmm. that will enable it. Um, so the economic systems, the political systems, uh, the things that are kind of out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, I'm trying to look at the bigger cultural and societal systems that yeah. will be blocking it or uh, amplifying it or influenced by it. So this is something that um, is sometimes lacking from uh, platform developers or technology developers. They really focus on the technology and, and the capabilities and, and the profitability of it, mm. and they kind of miss out on what it all means and this is also partially something that is changing right now it's it's a perception that technology or digital is something that is slightly different from the physical uh, so technology is something that happens elsewhere or digital or cyberspace is either not real or you know not as important or shouldn't be legislated the same way that physical interaction does um, but I find it completely misleading, if, and I'm being very soft on mm -hmm. it. I actually find it very deviant um, from the big platforms to use that narrative because they are living <laughs> off it um, and off the, the ability to transform physical human behaviors and cultures based on technology and digital interaction. So I find it very very misleading again misleading um, I don't want to to use uh, um, condescending words to them because I don't believe that all of them are necessary the evil giants mm -hmm. I, I actually think most of these big companies started from true passion and belief that you know this is bettering the human society this is bettering the human existence mm -hmm. the problem is when these entities grow and become financial entities, they lose their social cause that was might have been there. Um, and they focus only on consequences and lack of accountability. And luckily, um, we're seeing the whiplash of that these days. So mm -hmm. we're seeing how uh, companies like Facebook are being demanded to to explain their motives right. and mechanisms so this is a great thing that is happening yeah. in society uh, that users and consumers and general public and finally also policymakers mm -hmm. are starting to ask questions on yeah. wait you know this is shifting you know tectonically um, yeah. cultural and political and behavioral things who's accountable for that because mm -hmm. nobody asked that question yeah. till now. So you think when augmented reality comes more of a reality, we need better rules and policy around it Definitely. to protect our privacy or yes. to protect our in any way? Well, we need three levels of protection. Um, and a lot of people in the tech industry really believe that governments or, or political entities should, should butt out of mm -hmm. technology, mm -hmm. um, but since technology and digital interaction is embedded in every bit of our society, I can't believe we can differentiate or think about it just as an industry, mm -hmm. um, especially since we've seen that governments actually outsource most of their digital capabilities, which means right. you know, who's really governing the content and the information if it's the big tech companies, well, you know, sorry, the rules yeah. apply on them. Right, they create a cartel. Well, yeah, I mean, and because they can, and because information is, is the new, um, has a new value that it never had before, um, and the narrative is built by them. Um, so yes, I think there should be um, definitely more regulation coming from the governing entities, but I also think there needs to be on a second level um, there needs to be an internal understanding within content and, and technology developers regarding the, the rights and the purpose of mm -hmm. what they're building. And on the third level, uh, there needs to be a true understanding from the society and the user part 
regarding where we're moving mm-hmm. with, with the aid or with the nudging of technology. Yeah. And I'm not asking to limit anything. Mm-hmm. I'm asked a lot whether or not I'm, I'm trying to kind of like slow down technology or divert it into a specific route. And yes, I have my own personal belief that I think technology is supposed to improve the human experience mm-hmm. and improve not in a quantitative way, but a qualitative way. So I think we should ask ourselves, why are we doing it? And because we can or because we'll get more money is not necessarily the only answer. This is my personal belief. Maybe I'm wrong, I'm just one person. Uh, But what I want to happen is that if we're doing this major shift and we are doing this major shift and we are being um, more influenced by technology, that we'll make a conscious decision. Mm -hmm. So if society thinks, you know, I'm happy with losing my privacy and having content delivered to, to my physical space as long as I get it for free, mm-hmm. as long as I get access, this is what I care about, fine. That's a decision, but it right. needs to be a decision. And right now, um, we're using a lot of um, hidden hidden tactics and pervasive technology, dark UX, to get to the user. And we're it's plastered with some legal, you know, fine print. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's good enough. I think it needs to be a lot more transparent, a lot more honest, a lot more open, a lot more open for the user to change it when they want to, um, but also for the user to understand that, you know, if you give away your rights, mm-hmm. you know, these are the consequences. Yeah. So be very open when you enter yeah. a service. Yeah, because once augmented reality will get diffused, yeah. We're not talking about behind the screen experience. No, it's in your physical space. It's in your physical space. Right. And humans are, are wired to uh, react stronger and to be influenced more by things that are directly within their physical space. Right. There needs to be also a clear understanding about um, ownership. So who owns digital assets? Mm-hmm. Who owns uh, the digital or the hybrid space. Right. So there's a really good example of um, Snap did a collaboration with Jeff Koontz and they placed one of his statues uh, digitally in, in uh, Central Park in New York. Mm-hmm. So the first impression of people is like, wow, this is great. You know, you're putting art in public space, everyone can access it. Uh, besides the fact that I find it very bizarre, mm-hmm. Uh, because I think his art is actually very much about the physicality of it, yeah. but fine. Uh, people were actually outraged by the fact that somebody placed a digital asset in their physical space, whether it's art or not. Mm-hmm. That was not their choice. Yeah. Um, and actually, within 48 hours, um, you had digital artists hacking that digital sculpture and graffitiing it, trashing it. Oh, really? Yeah, so this is still funny because it's yeah. still within the art, you know, kind of like, oh, that's an artistic expression right. of the idea of privacy. But now the biggest question is, you know, who violated what? So if you violate somebody's physical space by mm-hmm. placing a digital asset, which, you know, mm-hmm. air quote, isn't real, mm-hmm. but it is real for s- whomever can, can see it, can see it. Um, is it yours? Are, have you... Have you right. invaded their space? And if you've done it, are they allowed to react to that? Right. Uh, it's kind of a, it becomes kind of a spiral of, I mean, Bruce Willis actually sued um, iTunes, I think, um, because he wanted to inherit his music collection to his kids. And he's like, hey, I bought it. Mm-hmm. It's not even stream, I bought it. Why can't I, you know, why can't it exist? You know, yeah. this is actually a digital file that exists yeah. somewhere. Um, so it's a big question and, and a lot of the digital companies and platform revenue comes from the fact that you don't own anything. So if in the past um, we had value for the crafted, unique things, uh, it shifted through the years to accessibility and service and Mm -hmm. it's shifting again. Mm -hmm. uh, Because actually since if everything is accessible, you know, if, if, if you can do anything, if you can 
you know, 3D print anything, if you can get a cheap mock-up of everything, where does the value sit? And we do need a value system as mm. humans again, yeah. uh, because we are humans. We are shaved monkeys on a rock as much as we would like to ignore it. We are biological creatures and our decisions and our attachment systems are built on that. And that's great. It's great, but it's also something we have to be aware of. Um, so I think it will shift and I think it will shift places we don't expect it to. So I think actually the physical will become valuable again because mm -hmm. it will be unique and non-replicable. Uh, and I think um, experiences will that want to benefit from being unique will have to be attached to the physical space. This is why I believe AR over VR because we are inherently physical beings. We wake up in the morning, we go to the toilets, we react very strongly to whether or not we're hungry or had enough coffee mm. until our brains are, you know, on the cloud, we will forever be attached to our physical engagement. And this is where the value is mm. always given. It's yeah. about our technology is about being protected from from the weather, mm. uh, feeling secure, mm -hmm. feeling safe feeling comfortable, feeling, you know, vain, yeah. for example. Um, so I think this is where it's interesting, the interaction between the human facet, um, which is, I don't want to say limited, but mm. which is defined, and the infinite possibilities of technology. Yeah. This, is the w this is where the magic happens, yeah. really. So now everything is in the screen? Yes. And then um, what you are saying is it's going to be out of the screen yes. that we have some something on our heads or our lenses or whatever or within the space can we shut it down that's a question and this is why we need to talk about privacy and ownership yeah. now you know will we be able to shut it down i have a thing with wearables um for this technology in particular for now wearables seem to be the most natural way to to mm. have the best interactive mode um, and people are really snubbing out mobile phones, for example. And I actually find that a mobile phone is a perfect wearable. Mm -hmm. We don't think of it as a wearable, but it is on our body most of the time. Right. In close proximity. If it's not on our body, it's on the table in front of us. Yeah. And they actually done research that uh, people are aware that their mobile phone is in the room, mm -hmm. even if it's in a bag and they can't see it. Yeah. They, they, they've done, um, they've done a, a, a research where they had two groups of people doing an exam and actually the people that had the phone physically in the room never saw it. It wasn't ringing or anything. Were more distracted than the people that had the phone physically out of the room. So we right. are very much aware of it. Yeah. Um, I find it great wearable because it's a wearable that I really can control. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not limited to my physicality um, and you know, mm -hmm. I can use it however I want. It's mm -hmm. almost a black box. Um, once we start really thinking about head-mounted devices or, you know, watches and nudging mechanisms, then we have to think about different ways that are maybe more immersive, but also a little bit more invasive mm -hmm. in nature. Mm -hmm. And that starts to be concerning in my mind yeah. um, and more open, but also more limiting in how we can experience things. So I'm a little bit weary of wearables because if I have to take off a headset and once I take it off, it either has to be on my face or not. I'm very limited in yeah. how much freedom I have to disconnect from it. Right. Um, I'm, I'm a bigger believer in spatial augmentation and actually in limited augmentation. I don't think we need devices that allow us to mm -hmm. access all the time. Right. I don't think the human existence needs <coughs> to be on mm -hmm. all the time. But it's more also like you can also say then it's uh, adaptive light. Yeah. I know that there is this system of um, adaptive light, but I didn't see it as an augmented thing. But yeah. Well, it's. It but it is it because is. it reacts on how exactly. you how you move and you can tap and tap yeah, on the real table time. in real time. So yes. so this is something that that augmented reality. Uh, most people think about it. Um, as Pokemon Go, for example, yeah. which is actually not 
really no, I, see, I, saw, I saw it more as a, as a digital information layers. No, not necessarily. No, exactly. But that's it doesn't but have to I be information. Uh, it doesn't have to be visual. Uh, even sonic augmentation is something that people kind of ignore or oliphery or, right. or tactile. So augmented reality is basically any technological uh, or digital um, interaction that mm -hmm. you have in real time mm -hmm. uh, within your environment. Right. And this is where it becomes really interesting mm -hmm. because that means that we're, we're augmenting, we're amplifying or modifying uh, our environment via digital means in mm -hmm. real time. That's fantastic. But it doesn't have to be all this content streaming information or entertainment. There are right. so many other layers and levels to create yeah, experiences. That's yeah, but it's, that's also something that you see. Most of the examples that I have seen are data layers yeah. or AI recognizing yeah. the mic and then say there and then a, a text layer comes over mm -hmm. it and recognizes it. Because it's easier it to is. explain and sell. You know, it's e easier right. to explain the value of it, the monetary value or the right. information value, because we're so, um, we are also so prone to, to have a quantitative checklist, like, oh, I can value this because I know how much data came in and how much data right. came out and what was received. And we're, we're always a bit weaker on, on understanding kind of emotional interaction and the long-term value of mm -hmm. things. Yeah. It's harder to, to raise money. <laughs> that it's harder to develop it's more nuanced it's it's harder to understand and quantify uh, but it's most of the time actually more the most interesting and most uh, deeper most influential so actually what snap did with placing the Jeff Koons piece in Central Park is also a way to make people on another level aware of what are the possibilities of, of AR yes or we're still in in the experiment phase I think we were in a really fun uh, and I call it fun for a reason we're yeah. in a really fun phase of augmented virtual reality we have heaps of developers that are kind of like pushing and mm -hmm. trying and probing and it's needed uh, money is being poured into this industry which is good it makes me a little bit concerned that we won't um, go through this wave of all these investors putting money mm -hmm. and waiting for a return and it won't happen straight mm -hmm. away because it won't and then they'll be off to the next technology. Mm. Um, yeah. It's a little bit concerning, but I, again, uh, can't stop them. Yeah. Better so join them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you say in your book that uh, augmented reality is a phase, and then the next phase is augmented vir uh, virtuality, and then you have virtual reality, and we are now like in this. The virtual continuum. Yeah. Well, the virtual continuum actually describes um, the different levels of engagement uh, that we can have. Yeah. So um, this is actually a term um, that was, again, defined like not by me, of course, mm -hmm. um, in years and years ago, I think also in 54 by Milgram. Um, I hope I'm getting the dates right. Um, but basically he looks at uh, our perception and our interaction with between the physical and digital space. So on mm -hmm. one hand, we have physical reality, um, which means that we have uh, physically generated content that is experienced within the physical space. And on the very other end of the virtual continuum, we have virtual reality, which means that we have um, virtually or digitally generated content that is experienced within a digital space. Mm -hmm. So if we have a 3D video game uh, that we use, uh, that we interact with through a headset, mm -hmm. that's a good example of virtual reality. And in between, uh, we have what's called mixed reality, uh, which means that we we take one of each and experience it in the other space. Yeah. So augmented reality means that we take digitally generated content and experience it within the physical space. And augmented virtuality means that we actually take content from the physical world and interact within a virtual space. So actually 360 videos, for example, um, our content that was registered from physical space, but we experience it in a virtual way. Mm -hmm. Right now, we kind of jump in between these. Um, we're mostly at the physical space, of yeah. course. 
Uh, but I believe that um, that space, that mixed reality and virtual reality and everything in between will eventually become this one flow. They're now still a separate, you need separate devices and separate experiences. Mm -hmm. And it won't happen straight away. It mm -hmm. will take, I think, years and years and years of developing content and understanding behaviors and understanding um, interaction with it. But eventually we'll have a much closer step between the physical space right. we have into this whole new world of mixed and virtual reality. Mm -hmm. And all I'm trying to do is kind of, before we do that last step, we're mm -hmm. halfway through it. Mm -hmm. our, the virtual space is very much integrated in our day-to-day -day interaction that as you said, we can also do without. We're still more immersed in the physical space than we are in any other space. Mm -hmm. So this is my answer to all virtual reality developers that say, virtual reality is the most immersive reality. I'm like, yep. It's very immersive mm. when you manage to simulate it close to right. the really immersive one, which is physical reality. Yeah. So we are moving there. I don't think we'll ever be just in virtual reality. I don't think this is our future. Um, again, because we're not biologically prone to do it and we are social beings. And I think eventually the physical, yeah, the physical wins and the physical has value that cannot be simulated right. on all levels uh, but I think we really need to understand where we're stepping towards and we have a responsibility uh, especially if you're a creative or a content developer we really have the responsibility and accountability to to make good experiences mm -hmm. rather than just make something and that's what you see now more and more that let's make something yes because we want to experience well, a new technology because it's more like a creative experiment yeah because we're 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 kind of like falling into like the disruptive and hassle make it just just make it put it out there um and again i don't want to step on any toes and i don't want to say you know that's that doesn't have value mm -hmm. Uh, but I, I'm really questioning the fact that we just want to disrupt and not to really create value. It's really disturbing for me that, yeah. you know, that's all, you know, for, for a lot of platforms, that's the only reason they're there. There's something there I don't like. I'm just going to disrupt and make something parallel. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to try and better mm -hmm. what's there. I'm not going to try to really understand it. Mm -hmm. I'm only going to try and crush it. Yeah. And actually, it doesn't work. And I even write about it in the book. And this is something I'm happy be about because I wrote it think a year and a half ago it came out almost a year ago um, but I wrote about platforms like Airbnb and Uber and the whole idea of shared economy um, and the whole idea of the disruptive technology that eventually it's not sustainable you cannot override um, the needs of individuals and of society you can't build a business platform that is only built on on you know uh, ch being cheaper mm. if you don't create a societal value and uber has value and airbnb has value but you know we're living in amsterdam and i think it happened in barcelona as well and it's happening in new york where these platforms are slowly being pushed away because mm. municipalities cannot handle mm. the flux of of tourists, tourists yeah. that come into the city mm. and this is just tourism you know, wait and see what happens when cities become mega cities, mm. when we're going to have so many, you know, within the next 10, 15 years, we're going to move into these cities. There are 10 plus, you know, 10 million plus residents and, and you have tourists coming over and they're not really being taxed and mm. you can't really control it in terms of law and order. You can't really control it in terms of guaranteeing um, public commute mm. or or any sort of infrastructure grid, you know, your all your toilets are being clogged yeah. <laughs> because there's all of a sudden half a million people more in town that nobody mm. anticipated. Yeah. It's it's a little bit problematic um, to just be disruptive and people build a reputation on it. So Elon Musk, for example, really love what he's doing, but he's been building uh, some of his reputation on the, the notion that he's into disrupting. And he's seeing how difficult it is, even with Tesla, mm -hmm. you know, he's disrupting everything and, and you know, this whole paradigm of him going to Mars, mm -hmm. um, which is actually being um, backed up and, and developed by NASA, you mm -hmm. know that, you know, mm -hmm. he, he likes to be the, the guy that does it on yeah. the side, but he still needs NASA, but he doesn't tell that to mm -hmm. anyone yeah. because how many, you know, 
experienced rocket scientists are there yeah. out there. So it's it's really great in storytelling uh, for all these big platforms to kind of pretend mm -hmm. that this is happening. But again, if we if we ignore what's there and just you know, cryptocurrencies are the same thing. You know, let's make alternative currencies that you know nobody can actually use that are being um, mined by you know sucking out the energy from mm -hmm. our planet. They're actually they cost sometimes more to mine than their their actual value um, that criminal entities are using because it's so so um, uncontrollable. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, these things fade away. Yeah. And what 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 you do, do you suggest we should do about it, or can we do something about it? Can we use their story to be disrupt, or should we, as society or as a group of people, stand up to it? Or well, you mean they can? Tr I mean, again, it's a cultural thing. What can you do as a one person, or as a like? You can write a book. Right, you can <laughs> write a book. Well, I I believe I believe in the. But your book is not only about. Uh, no, the book is talking about the ecosystem of this specific technology. So yeah. this is talking about augmented reality. It touches on innovation and disruption, right. uh, but it talks about um, how to approach an emerging technology mm -hmm. like augmented reality. And mm -hmm. this is why this book is not just about the technology. No, it's, it's about yeah. hey. Any technology has a whole ecosystem yeah. around it. Yeah. And of course you can go and just develop mm -hmm. an app around mm -hmm. it, but if you don't understand the context of it, yeah. you are hindered. Right. We have the book on the table, <laughs> which is beautiful by the way. But you say, with augmented reality, we create a new kind of web, int uh, yeah. like a new internet. Everything that's now digital, we bring to the yes. physical or to a, as, a as a new layer in yes. our physical reality. While reading the book, I was thinking, okay, this is tourism. I can't be a tourist anymore because of the total enhancement through augmented reality because I can turn left and know everything about this building, what happened here. If you, you choose you to. If you choose to, yes. So if this I is the question, what, right. what choices will be made because right. of that? So I was asked um, in, in another podcast a couple months ago that was in New York and they said, hey, what if you go in New York Mm. And and you can like look at every building and know all the history right. about it and all the layers, and and I said, well, first of all, you can do it anyways. Yeah. I can go online and say, you know, the Chrysler Building right. and look for it if I choose to. Let's start with that. It's it's not that it's a whole new concept. It's yeah. just a new way to interact with right. information. Exactly. Um, but I said I also answered. I wonder, and you know, and I love New York. If what New York really needs for its tourism is another layer of, of information and mm. visual stimuli. No, yeah. <laughs> I'm know. kind of like, I'm already overwhelmed just walking in right. the street because you have this wonderful architecture everywhere. You have this amazing, mm. endless flow of, of stimuli there. Do you need more? And this is the biggest question, you know, mm. just because we can, is it really bringing value? Yeah. So everything is possible these days through information. We're, I don't know how many apps are out there. I don't know how, many, how much data is online. We already have access to all that. But the question is, in tourism, for example, you know, what is the experience and how can you create an augmented experience within the space you're in? Mm -hmm. And what are you trying to do? Are you trying to hijack the physical experience? And this is happening a lot yeah. with AR, which which is very easy to do because we are very distracted beings. Mm -hmm. um, and we saw it with Pokemon Go. People were walking off cliffs. We even saw it, w see it with navigation systems in the car. People drive into trees because we trust technology. Yeah. So this is where we also have to be cautious. And again, ask ourselves, why am I doing it? What am I giving that is really valuable mm -hmm. to the user and valuable in a way that isn't invasive and valuable in a way that really makes them reconnect to the space instead of like, yeah. You know, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of layers of interaction and and we always use the state of flow, mm -hmm. like wanting to transcend and mm -hmm. elevate the experience, mm -hmm. which is great. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's only one way of interacting. Yeah. And especially when you're in the physical space, how do we reconnect to the physical? Yeah, we are now in Amsterdam and um, what would be an interesting augmented layer? for Amsterdam? I think it's very much on personal preference and, and it's a question also for the city. 
you know, because now, you know, cities are not just places. Cities have identities and their own souls. So right. I think we're going to see a lot more interesting, um, I don't want to say branding, but a lot more interesting manifestations mm-hmm. of, of entities and mm-hmm. cities uh, through experiences. Mm-hmm. So what would Amsterdam like to be for its residents? Yeah. What, would it, what value does it want to bring through digital experiences? Mm-hmm. Or New York or Tokyo? You know, these are big questions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's we again. We, c- we seem to f- to think or believe that it's only about the individual. Uh, we are, we moved into really human or user focused um, interaction and content, and I really believe in humanity focused. Mm-hmm. I think I believe in societies. Uh, I believe in communities. I of course the individual as well, but not above everything else. Mm-hmm. We're social beings. So we always need to think in social context. Yeah. And this is what technology platforms took away from mm-hmm. us because we are under the, it's not an illusion, it's unfortunately true, we are under the, the, the belief that my individual voice needs to be heard, mm-hmm. which is true, but mm-hmm. not yeah. above all other. Yeah. And you get also the individual stream back. Yes. Your preference stream. So everybody talks yeah. about the bubble, but that's what you get back there. Yeah. But on the other hand, what I like to, to listen most on my Spotify mm-hmm. is the curated list that was made for me. So it was made for me, but somebody else chose it. Right, or an algorithm. Or an algorithm. Right. I like to think somebody's sitting there yeah. <laughs> thinking of me once a week. Yeah, hey, Khalid, yeah. do you like it? <laughs> but yeah. Can you rate it? Because I don't use Spotify. But um, I find it interesting. Um, I like the idea, uh, I use the paid service. Um, I like to pay when I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I believe that a human being is getting paid somehow. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually think it's pretty good. I listen to it. Um, I get to listen to new music by it, but I'm mm. also quite quite amused by the selection they give me um, because I think they think I'm quite depressed. <laughs> it's always like very chilled, oh, okay. like very indie, folky, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, oh my god. And and I listen to other music as well, so I actually listen to children, for, for some reason, for research I'm doing, I listen to a children festival uh, compilation songs from, from the 80s, and mm-hmm. I'm like, I wa- I'm waiting to see what will come out of there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's funny. Yes. So on the table, we have yes. the, your book. Yes. It's quite big. Almost. Uh, it's not know. about size. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite big. It's hardcover. It's yes. 20 by 24, I think. Yeah. Something like that. And um, it's you a wrote. Physical book. It's a physical book. You wrote. You wrote every word in it. Yes. And you also designed it. Yes, I had. Uh, how did how? <laughs> How? Uh, can you tell me how? how and we also how developed the AR app yeah, for it. That was just my for next fun. That was my next question. But um, so this is your master thesis or a thesis? No, um, it actually it started from the thesis I wrote about, right. uh, which was more on the business side of, of creating emerging, of implementing emerging technologies yeah. uh, when I was doing my MA in design and innovation, design management and innovation. And what happened was that my um, ex-professor that used to be the head of Motorola Solutions, mm-hmm. um, Bruce Claxon, said to me, you've got to publish it because yeah. you're reaching out into such a wide context and right. nobody's looking at technology at the moment like that. So you have to publish it. And of course, um, I went to a publisher and I kind of, I don't want to say intimidated them, but <laughs> I drilled their heads <laughs> and I had I had a copy. But th- yeah. the book is, is not the thesis. The book has been developed um into a wider right. scope yeah. um so i look at everything from um the politics of technology and ar mm-hmm. to the economy system around it to the societal yeah. and cultural um context of it including gestures but all the way into the more holistic and even right. spiritual around yeah, you it you really touched everything I, all touch points <laughs> that you can imagine anything you can imagine yeah. is but always is related to, to technology, technology and right. nar yeah. in specific yeah. uh, so it was a long process to also convert uh, kind of like an academic theme into something that is a lot more tangible and right. i try to use a lot of of 
examples uh, from mm -hmm. everyday life and yeah. you know that people can understand it this is not just a book for people that are doing mm -hmm. AR this is really meant for the general public that wants to know about right. AR yeah. and technology in yeah. the context yeah. and I had um, about the design of the book um, it was very important to me to to make sure that it's also a beautiful book mm -hmm. again you know yeah. practicing what I preach yeah it's beautiful building on the physical quality yeah of the book and make mm -hmm. sure, making sure it's a beautiful hardcover, beautifully designed book yeah. that I had uh, Deluxe uh, Delicious Design help me with the art mm -hmm. direction, uh, but I ended up um, creating most of the illustration in right. it. Um, and um, the book has an app to it um, because I actually said to myself, being not an overachiever at all, uh, you know, I can't just talk about AR. Mm -hmm. I need to practice what I preach and yeah. I want to try you know, and see how it works within a context of the book. Um, so what we've done, my husband is actually a 3D designer mm. and he ended up developing, doing the, the backend development of the book. We have two interaction layers uh, within the book. We have the data layer. So all the little graphs and charts have little AR pop-ups mm -hmm. that go on it. And whenever we have new available data, so like the, the growth of the market, we right. update it every couple of months. Oh, so wow. you get new numbers. So it's a live platform. So the book is actually becoming a live platform. We have that and we have like little animation in the in-between yeah. breakers. We have little animation. We wanted to test ourselves like, oh, how does it work yeah. with music? Yeah. How does it work with different interaction? And it's really nice because sometimes you go over the page and then you can see the uh, geometric shapes. Most of yeah. the time you use geometric shapes and then they really come to life and they yeah. turn around. And, they and yeah, you can really have nice. more depth, but it's also fun. And actually next month I'm opening the book. Oh yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah. I'm opening the book up as an open platform and I'm going to ask um, uh, creatives and developers mm -hmm. um, to create. Uh, first, we're going to do it for the breaker pages to yeah. create their own animations on it. So it really based becomes on the based on the grid, the isometric grid. Or yeah, they can they can submit whatever they want okay. to it. Uh, we'll have some criteria. I'm going to publish it next month. We have we're going to have some criteria to it. Of course, it mm -hmm. can't be offensive. Right. I have my own boundaries. Yeah. Um, and then we want to actually host artists, digital and 3D artists, right. on um, in the book. Wow, that's nice. Wow. Right. That's a really different experience then. Yeah. That's so nice. Because then the book becomes a platform. And this yeah. is what I love about augmented yeah. reality, that physical objects can become platforms yeah. of interaction. So yeah. we, we can start thinking about them in a different way. Yeah. And I have here this page. And as you say, I am a digital hippie. Yes. And I hear this all <laughs> the time. You have two things that are always, I, you see your, uh, you present yourself as a digital hippie. Yes. And you want to make reality great again. Yes. So <laughs> let's do the digital hippie, hippie first. What's what's that about? Can you can you tell us? About yes. Uh, well, hippies get a really bad reputation of well, people that don't bathe a lot mm. or like to hug trees. Mm. Uh, so I've I don't think I've ever hugged a tree, and I bathe regularly. Mm. I just want to implement it. Not that not bathing is bad, mm. uh, but uh, what I mean by that is that on one hand, as a hippie, let's say it like that, I do believe in in I have this idealistic approach towards um, technology development. Mm. And it sounds really weird mm. because normally you think about hippies as, as you know, they're just hippies. They're, mm. they, they're disconnected from reality. But I have to amplify that most Silicon Valley technologies and companies were founded by ex-hippies. Um, that really genuinely wanted to make things better. I hope that we all want to have technology that wants to improve our lives, and this is my approach. Mm. My approach is just because you love technology, just because you believe in its role, doesn't mean that you can't believe that it can do good. And it doesn't mean that it's not profitable, and it doesn't mean that it's not impactful. So this segregation of business and efficiency from let's say idealism or cause is very odd in mm. my mind. You know? So I, I believe you can be a really great digital hippie and not non-cynically create meaningful implementation that will become, and I think it's the only way to become sustainable and impactful. Okay, and what's... <laughs> Let's make reality great again. Yeah, there might be a little bit of a political criticism <laughs> there, which I won't say, but you know, my, my point of it is that I find that a lot of technologies and interactions are kind of built 
to subvert us yeah. or override reality. Yeah. You know, everything sucks. Let's go, mm-hmm. you know, into a, a game that mm-hmm. will take us away from all this. Yeah. And I, I don't believe that. I think reality is pretty good, you mm-hmm. know. And I believe that we can make things that get us to. I think we are really happy when we create um, rituals and interactions that are closer to our biology, mm-hmm. to our reality. And actually, it's been proven that uh, we are we are more depressed, and we are more depressed because we're losing interaction with our environment. We swipe our screen so much we don't touch other people, yeah. and that actually makes us depressed because we need physical, biologically, we need physical contact. Mm-hmm. We need eye contact mm-hmm. um, in order to sustain our our mental stability. Yeah. Uh, we're prone to be social. We're prone mm-hmm. to be interacting with each other, with our environment, and actually. That's why I love augmented reality because that's the power of this platform to get us to re-engage with things uh, within our environment, which will indirectly make us happier. I'm like, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's a great um, side effect of this technology. And I think, you know, there's no reason we should override everything and find and quantify everything when we can just deepen our. Um, interaction and, and contact and with society. Yeah, with this augmented reality or with this extra layer, we yeah. should do good. Yes, we should only do better. Do, only do, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we should do better. We can do better. We should do better. Yeah. I always ask in my uh, interviews um, about Neon Five, which yeah. is um, one specific subject in a category. Uh, there are five categories, and we start with food. Mm. What's your favorite food? Where do I begin? <laughs> um, Let's break it down. Um, first of all, I, I have a terrible sweet tooth. So mm. actually, when I go to a restaurant, I first look at the dessert menu. Right. And depending on the dessert, I will order the meal. Mm-hmm. Um, if there is a cheesecake, I will always order a cheesecake. Mm-hmm. And if I could choose one category of food within desserts, uh, ice cream. Ice cream, okay. But very specific, you know, I'm like, I'm... I'm not every ice cream is mm. considered ice cream. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Okay, and what's your favorite? Um, flavor? Yeah, is it like um, sorbet or, or with cream? It depends. It okay. depends. I, I believe, you know. Is it about the texture? Is it with, with like pieces in it or just smooth? See, I'm an equal opportunity <laughs> kind of person. Right. <laughs> So Depends I think on your mood. every well, it's not <laughs> it's it's more complicated than that. It's yeah, really it's sad. So every category has its own uh, criteria. So I'm like, if it's fruit mm-hmm. related, I don't necessarily like chunks, but the flavor needs to be authentic. Uh, the color can't feel artificial, and it needs to trigger a memory with it. So I'm like, mm, strawberries. If I eat strawberry, it yeah. needs to be like, oh, this is strawberries in the summer. Right. Uh, when it goes more to the chocolate mm-hmm. sweet, oh, then th- that's uh, I'm saying like if you're gonna go, go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is like where the chunks come in. Ah, nah, right. nah. Um, yeah, um, okay. and I like I, I like complex, contradictive flavors. So I like a little bit of surprise in it. So yeah. chocolate with chili or salt or caramel. Like I like to, I like to be surprised and delighted by yeah. ice cream. But it's hard with ice cream, especially in the Netherlands. I found a great one in Amsterdam. Oh. Okay. It, by Italian, perfect. Oh yeah? yeah, Massimo's in the pipe. Don't go there because it's mine. <laughs> Amazing. It's very hard to find oh yeah? exquisite ice cream because okay. it looks very simple, but yeah, yeah. no. Uh, ice is very difficult to make. Yeah. yeah. Uh, movie or television? What? Forever Star Trek. Okay. Forever Star Trek. Uh, that's if I have to choose one yeah, TV yeah. series. Also, because you can watch it your entire life. There are so many series and subseries, nice. um, and I love the ethics behind it and the thinking behind it. Um, apart from that, I watch everything. I'm I'm a monster. Uh, I will watch almost every series that comes in. We have mm-hmm. a rule at home. We're going to watch like three, the first three episodes. Mm-hmm. And then we either watch it all the way through, mm-hmm. and there are periods where we really our social life suffers because if we're hooked in more than three or four series, 
at the same time at the same time oh i i will stay up to watch i'm i'm yeah to watch uh series up to like oh 2 wow. a.m i'm very I'm, i'm obsessed with uh media and pop culture yeah okay i can understand that you stay but have three or four series at least at the same time at least And then you watch everything, doesn't matter what genre or... Yeah. Okay. Um. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, that's... A, uh, you can feel... <laughs> you can <laughs> okay, that's um, good um, that you have time. Um, uh, maybe, yeah. I don't. <laughs> that's my no, problem. No, but it's also to relax and you can... I can also understand it because, like, the topic that you cover is so wide. So, yeah. like, it's also everything that you see can also be an inspiration yeah or like or, or something yeah, yeah exactly I even I, i watch uh reality shows yeah yeah the worst temptation island <laughs> there's even worse oh yeah okay i don't know okay book um william gibson philip k dick um elena ferranti Um, I like science fiction, mm-hmm. um, especially uh, science fiction that, again, is looking more in the societal impact of it. Uh, Isaac Asimov, anything by them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reading and rereading. Okay. If you have, you have no idea about science fiction, which book would you recommend to start? Um, uh, Philip K. Dick has quite a few short stories compilations I would start with them okay. I guess um, because it gives like really different angles towards mm-hmm. it Asimov is a little bit more robot mm-hmm. AI so I would say Philip K. Dick okay and a uh, person very hard um, favorite person ever yeah or somebody who's um, influenced you or I can't pick one. I'm so easily influenced by people. I think it depends on the period of my life. Um, try to think. Um, I'll start with very general, and that might lead me, <laughs> as I do, yeah. towards uh, the specific person. Actually, you know what? I'm um, I'm now um, uh, Robert Kennedy. What the senator? The senator. Okay. Um, I'm actually uh, admiring, and his personality. And again, I, I didn't live in a period where he was um, alive or public, or I was very small when he he got assassinated. Um, but um, I just watched a documentary about him um, recently, um, and I think he is one of the most um, influential political figures and and societal and human rights figures mm-hmm. um, that we had in Western society mm-hmm. uh, for for a while, and he was kind of. He's almost like the, the modern uh, tragic hero. He was kind of forced. He was one driven um, to to achieve great impact, but he was almost forced to do it as well uh, mm-hmm. by his brother's death. And he chose the mm-hmm. choices he made to do it um, were also very tragic because um, he chose to do the right thing almost yeah. every single time, and he paid for that. Mm-hmm. Um, And it was almost like he knew, mm-hmm. you know, he almost knew where it can lead. So his choice is even more detrimental. And I find it very noble mm-hmm. and heroic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think we have enough figures like that today that are really willing to pay the price in, over in, in order to make a better society and do the right thing regardless of the opposition mm-hmm. they have in a way that is not destructive, non-violent, very accepting and mm-hmm. very positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I would like to look at the world, political world, 
right now and see a figure yeah. like that or somebody that will truly create a, a social you know will be a, a beacon of mm. social um, change and Bernie Sanders is, is perhaps trying to do the same but I think the circumstances around uh, Robert Kennedy and, and what he actually achieved and, and when you really look at what he's been doing it's it's quite overwhelming mm -hmm. that one person managed to yeah. to create so much change yeah and i think i think also like nowadays it's harder to pop up yeah to rise to, to rise as high because there are so many other people who are also yeah. like asking attention yeah it's it's about attention seeking and and you see it also in terms of technology you see it mm. also no, I, I, I say that AR is, is the next platform, you right. know, as big as the World Wide Web. It's even bigger in my mind because it's truly going to be the World Wide Web. Uh, and the biggest question is not what will be the killer application, but um, we're recreating the World Wide Web. But if in the past we kind of had one stream of access to it now we have all the big companies wanting to own the platform to it mm. so you have apple mm. you know you can develop it by apple unity mm. uh the ar kit uh, through google through you have at least 10 at least 10 different platforms i can think of mm. that are substantial that want mm. you to do it just through yeah. them i'm looking for this collective understanding that we yeah. need to create you know one path mm. to this platform mm. we unfortunately don't have it um, at the moment, um, that's I, a problem. A question on that: on How do you distribute then if you make something? Have you, do you have to develop it for all the platform, or can you can you develop it, like mm -hmm. publish it, and then it works on all the other platforms? Well, it, it depends. Well, right now you also have uh, even more fragmentation. You have you have uh, mobile versus headset right. versus VR. So right now it's still complicated. So even with our app. We have to publish it for for Android and for iOS, so there isn't still one. This is the problem. There isn't still one um, way to publish. To mm -hmm. publish, you have to go individually. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some development engines like uh, Unity, for mm -hmm. example. That this is what we're doing. We develop um, um, the interaction in Unity, and then you publish it via different ones. But yeah. this is still complicated. There is no current standard it will change when once there'll be um more of a, like when we'll move to a cloud system it will change but this is again this is the disparity of technology today you yeah. have to develop two right it's a it, it always be platforms yeah where you have have to, to publish to exactly right so you okay. have to consider mobile device ipad wearable desktop outdoor indoors so it, it becomes a little bit more yeah. complex yeah um, the last one is uh, miscellaneous something from your life something that I love or something that I um, well diving, diving. That's, that's my mm -hmm. place that's where I go um, I now have less and less time to do it um, but um, I, I love diving like I said I love what it does um, to your reconnection mm -hmm. with yourself uh, I love the fact that when you go underwater um, there's a whole set of it's a whole new world mm -hmm. with a whole new set of rules and, and threats and mm -hmm. etc uh, I love to stock fish I have this little game where I find a fish and swim behind it till mm -hmm. it notices me <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm a bit weird like that uh, but I'm also um, very aware, and again, this is the hippie of me, of, of how oblivious we are to the underwater world and mm. how much damage we make mm. there. So there's a few sites that I've been going diving, and to see the difference within one year, two year space is devastating mm. to me. So you, you go to places, and it's really like finding Nemo, like, ah, lush mm. and color, and you went back two years later, um, and that's actually quite a secluded dive site. Um, in the middle of the Andaman Sea, and it's dead, dead. And considering the majority of our planet is underwater, I'm like, do we realize mm -hmm. what the hell we're doing? Mm -hmm. um, and it's heartbreaking because it's again, it's it's the oblivious um, society that we have 
uh, that is based on consumption and, and comfort and not understanding the ecosystem around mm -hmm. it. I find it very, very sad and very non-sustainable for humans. Mm -hmm. And we know it, but we, we don't know it yet. Yeah. It's shocking. I didn't know that it was going so fast. It's going so fast. Really? It's, it's really terrible. And how did you came up with diving? What was your first experience? Um, so I don't like holidays or oh I can't yeah. relax on holidays. Yes. Um, oh, okay. So I went to the honeymoon with my hubby. I went to honeymoon <laughs> on an island. Yeah. And within, we went there for three weeks. Within two weeks, I already achieved any cer every certificate that was on the island. Mm -hmm. I'm very, I'm a, I'm a overachiever. So I just like, I'll do a cooking class, like two, yeah, three yeah. days cooking class. I'll do a massage class. I'm a certified Thai masseuse, okay. full body massage. <laughs> I know it because I've done 10 days of my honeymoon massaging s sweaty strangers oh, for okay. a certificate. <laughs> and then basically all their certificates on the island ended except of diving. And I actually had, I didn't like open water, but it was the last thing to do. Yeah. Um, so I did it. Um, and they actually had to push me off the boat because I don't like open water. Yeah. Uh, but actually, the moment I was in there, I was—that was, was right. it. That was it for me. That it was must be magical to. I think that every creative person mm -hmm. needs to learn to dive because mm -hmm. the inspiration. I mean, James Cameron is mm -hmm. is a big big on diving, and if you look at Avatar, like oh, the art direction was amazing. I'm like, that's because he's. You can see he's. He's a diver. Yeah, 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 because of because the coloring. The colors, and again, the, the laws of physics are different underwater. Yeah. Everything is different. You look at things differently. The colors are different. Something happens when you go down and up. Mm -hmm. uh, the interaction there is different. Everything is slower and more. Right. Um, it's it's amazing. Yeah. Like you, c you can't even explain it. You mm -hmm. know, this is very limb, and it's really amazing. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's very inspiring. Yeah, I've never done it. Uh, maybe I have to try it. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, where can um, people follow you on the internet? Where can they follow me? Well, um, I do a lot of content on LinkedIn, actually, mm -hmm. which I find quite an interesting social media platform. Um, I have, because it's actually um, a lot more quality content, right. I find. and. Mm -hmm. And I find that, especially in the last few months, people are really trying to bring value to yeah. it. Um, and you can expand your network. It's yeah, they changed it. Yeah, yeah. it's been something changed there. So it used to be just almost a CV right. uh, platform. And now there's a lot more content, a lot more interaction. And mm -hmm. because it's still considered more um, commercial or mm -hmm. more respectful, there's, some, so there's more of a civil debate right. there most of the time there's also trolls there uh yeah it's it's quite shocking uh so they can follow me there um i have um an instagram account uh at the ar girl mm -hmm. uh, i have a twitter account at galit ariel which i'm less active on i'm not mm -hmm. active enough uh i just yeah and mm -hmm. i sometimes post on medium mm -hmm. Uh, but at the moment, uh, I'm just busy writing more articles, mainstream right. articles, and I'm kind of trying to limit my, I, I should be better on social media, but uh, that's always, that's always I'm uh, busy watching TV, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, do you have upcoming speaking gigs? Yes, I'm speaking at uh, 15 seconds at Graz, um, and I'm giving a Women of Technology International webinar online, um, also in June, both of these in June, and I'm giving uh, a couple of private events over summer, and in September, I'm gonna be talking at uh, the conference in mm. Malmo. Cool. Uh, so these are my uh, closed upcoming. upcoming. upcoming I might go to Tokyo again Yeah. Um, in June. Okay, cool. That's nice. Yeah, but I'm waiting for this to be right. Sponsored, sponsor me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all need sponsoring. We all right? need. Well, it's people seem to think that knowledge comes for free mm -hmm. uh, these days, and um, yeah. it's very hard for content creators to get paid or rewarded yeah. for it. Um, everybody wants to be heard, so mm -hmm. people provide with free content mm -hmm. as a PR. 
which is understandable, but it's it's a bit of a shame um, yeah. that quality content creators have to really fight um, to be able to to spread mm. their knowledge. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I see that all the time. I also struggle with it. So yeah. So where can people find the book? Um, well, they can find the book through um, the publisher, Biz Publishers website, or through Amazon, um, UK, US, Canada, and uh, bookstores right. around the world. I don't know which one, so I can't directly. <laughs> Maybe you should pin them and put a digital layer. <gasps> Wonderful. Actually, I was in Toronto recently and somebody said, maybe your book is in the store. I'm like, no way. It was a big, yeah. big store. Indigo. It's one of their biggest ones. Like, no way it will be there. And then I went there and it was there. Yeah. And I got so freaked out. It's right. so weird to see your book yeah, yeah, yeah. in the store. I'm I know. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. I made a lot of books. So then every time I, I'm in a bookstore, then I'm checking other books that I designed. Oh, nice. are, they, are, they the, are they? Are they? Where are they? Oh yeah, and then when they see them, you put them out and put them on display. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great thing. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I never did that. Yeah, you should do that. Of course I did. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks. We're shaking hands for yeah. those who can't see us. Yeah. <laughs>Hi, it's Thomas. I want to thank Cinekit for letting me use their studio. Cinekit is a film and media festival for kids and professionals. It's in Amsterdam 20 till 28th of October 2018. Next to that, uh, Neo Marais has a weekly newsletter called Neo Monday with the latest design, conference updates and news on a digital world. You can sign up for Neo Monday at neomarais.com slash subscribe. You can follow the Neil Marais show on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Neil Marais. And if you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. It really helps others to find out about the show. Thanks for listening.